I'm Abigail Grimes, a.k.a. Casey Thompson. Today is March 14th, 2020, and this is The Kevin Show. Good afternoon. Welcome back to The Kevin Show. I'll pause for applause, so I hope you're clapping at home. Sorry to interrupt the hysteria and zombie craze that's going on right there, but if you're still alive, then this is episode two. I'm here with my friend of near 30 years, my goodness, (laughs) Abby Grimes, a.k.a. Casey Thompson. Say what up, Abby. (laughs) Hello, everyone. Now, just tell everyone about yourself. Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? (laughs) I am a writer, um, and I am a public servant, here to serve you with writing and tell you how to sue the government, if that's what you want to do. Well, didn't expect that, but um, that's great, you know, whatever it takes. And right now, suing the government with everything that's going on, very timely. (laughs) Oh dear. So... Just to get things going, would you say that you're a writer or you're an author? Um, that's an interesting question. Uh, I would say both, and it would really depend on what I'm talking about at the time. When I say that I'm an author, I'm more talking about I am the author of whatever it is that I've written. So Abigail Grimes is the author of The Violence of Fire. Casey Thompson is the author of The Jurist series. Um, It's more like a moniker that I wear. And I know that a lot of people will disagree with that characterization, but it's how I kind of look at it. Um, To be a writer, in my mind, is more like the active work of writing. So I am a writer when I am actively pen to paper or fingers to keyboard working on something that later I can then say, I am the author of. Ah, so like the finished product, like once you have your book or your story or whatever it is, that's the author's creation. But when you're in there in the nitty gritty, that's when you're the writer because you're writing it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Like being an author, it's like a blanket, right? It's very, it's softer. To be a writer, it's like all these hard R's. I am doing it. It's, that's kind of how I engage with those two words. I like that. Thanks. Do you remember the first story you wrote? Um, the first story, well, what I remember to be the first stories that I wrote uh, were in grade one. I wrote The Haunted Jar and The House of Doom. And during parent-teacher conference, my parents were there talking to my grade one teacher and she showed them to my parents and my parents were very concerned, as parents would be, if their six-year-old child is writing a story called The House of Doom. But, uh, yeah, it was on green construction paper. I like treasure that memory my mom like amalgamates them both and she says it's the haunted jar of doom but it's <laughs> it's the haunted jar and the house of doom okay do you have them still or you know what i can't find them it's heartbreaking to know uh, that i cannot find them but i will tear my parents house apart looking for them there somewhere yes be warned parents i'm coming for you or them i mean not you. Right. <laughs> the House of Doom continued. <laughs> Part sweet. two, my parents' house. <laughs> Do you have, like, a go-to brainstorming method? Um, no. I often just kind of stare into the middle space or out a window or, or whatever, and then, you know, things just kind of flow in as they go. And then I'll write them down if I can, 
or promise myself that I'll remember and write them down later and then don't remember them. I think that's the worst. You have that good idea. You're like, you know what? This is the one. And then something happened. Life happens, whatever. Squirrel runs by. Squirrel runs by, yeah. And then it's just like, oh, I lost it. Yeah, I have to, like, rehearse to myself whatever the, the idea was. This happened to me yesterday. I was, um, you know, in the shower, la, 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 and then this idea comes to me, and I'm like, ooh, ooh, I gotta hang on to this, I gotta hang on to it, but, you know, then there's some Irish spring there, and it's like, la, 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 and then suddenly, what was God. that again? <laughs> <laughs> so, that's an unfortunate side effect of life, when you have all of these ideas swimming around in your brain. What's it like, or is there ever a situation where it's like, okay, so in that scenario the inspiration will hit you just out of nowhere which i understand like i'm no author but um i do understand like putting ideas pen to paper sometimes something will just come to me Mm -hmm. like completely unrelated it's like oh that's a good line i like it but then how about times like the like what's it like when you have to go out and seek the inspiration that is definitely harder um Sitting down, butt to chair, pen in your hand is hard. It's work. And sometimes it does not work. You can try to force it as much as, as much as you want to, but if it's not there, it's not there. And uh, honestly, this week has shown that to me more than I've experienced it in, in a while. Because I had intended to write this week and I wrote something last night and that's it (laughs) it it wasn't a week full of just isolation well maybe for other reasons Uh, (laughs) um, but it's not one of those situations where it's like just because you want to write you're going to have all this inspiration to just like fill papers up exactly I mean I sat with my laptop in my lap every single day this week every day I had a laptop on my lap, I had notebooks beside me, pens everywhere, ready to go, and I watched Altered Carbon. Like, that's what I did. I've heard a lot about it, haven't got on it yet, but... I'm telling you, you should check it out. Today may be the day, because I feel like my carbon could use some alterations, (laughs) and I realize I'm using that with no context, so (laughs) after I do watch it, I'll see... If that made any sense whatsoever. I mean, it does, but I'm not sure that's something that you're that you really actually want. Okay. <laughs> Alright. Are you a pen and paper person or do you use like technology? Like for me, um, lyrics, whatever, song stuff, whatever. I will like I use a notepad a lot mm-hmm. and sometimes I'll use like the voice notes. Because there's certain ideas where I just like have to hear it mm-hmm. I can go back and hear it or like maybe I'm at a friend's house or freestyle and whatever I'll just hit record and you go back and hear it you're like that was awesome yeah right What what's your um I really like pen to paper there's something sensual about a pen and paper that you lose when you rely so heavily on technology for me Um, I was trying to, had all these ideas swimming around in my head this week, and when I tried to type them out, well, one, my laptop decided that, no, you're not going to type it out, and it was in the process of crashing, and I had to grab my phone and take a picture of the screen so that I'd know what I wrote earlier, but that was a whole other thing. Um, But you don't have that problem when you pick up a notepad and a pen, unless Mm. the pen dies and then you pick up another pen. But that sensation of running a pen across across a piece of paper is is very it's visceral right like it's it's very um intimate so the ideas that flow from there for me again um i find are more honest than when i type stuff out and i say that knowing fully well that i when I wrote my novel, I wrote it on a computer. Like I didn't write it by hand. But the 
like when I write poetry and, and shorter pieces, I tend to do it by hand because that capturing those those moments, those those pauses, those breaths in between the the phrases, I find they're more honest when I do it with a pen. I like it. I've heard that like I've had conversations and I've read that like there's supposed to be something really I don't know the word, like, almost guttural, but there's something very therapeutic mm-hmm. about the act of putting the pen to paper. Yes. Like, it's like, I guess that's where the diary comes from, because, like, you know, you open this page, you have this open book, and then you just start releasing. I'm yes. sure you've had this, where it's like, you may just be writing a line, and then it just starts to almost write itself, where yes. it's like, it's not even me anymore, it's just coming out. Like, literally what's inside you just bleeds through the pen. Yeah. So I could see that. Do you have, like, this is probably, if you did, it'd be a collector's item, but do you have a typewriter? I don't. I don't. I'm I'm kind of upset about that, to be honest. Uh, I used to have a typewriter when I was younger. My Okay, my parents had a typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> my parents bought me a typewriter uh, for Christmas when I think I was, like, eight or nine. And it was... For Christmas, imagine this, right? Christmas morning, everybody goes downstairs, oh, in their pajamas, and it's very exciting, and you're opening up your Tonka truck or your your Cabbage Patch Kid or whatever, because we grew up in the 80s. And um, for me, there was a typewriter and a bunch of Nancy Drew hardcover books, and it was the best damn day of my life. So, you know, kudos to my parents for knowing me so well. But yeah, that typewriter lasted a good long while, and then I graduated to a word processor, and then on to a computer. Now, here's a little bit of a segue. Mm. You know, you used some interesting words a little while ago when we are talking about the pen to paper, mm. sensual, you know, the connection, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, the two personas, obviously, we know you, I know you, Abby, Abigail Grimes, and then there's Casey Thompson. Yes. So, what does Abby write, and what does Casey Thompson write? Um, Casey Thompson writes erotica, so triple X kind of, not Vin Diesel triple X, but triple X, <laughs> like, in your dad's basement kind of stuff. Um, it is sensual, it is highly sexual stuff uh and abigail grimes writes thrillers and suspense and things that have to do with relationships going awry and all the the kind of junk we find ourselves involved in daily daily for some of us anyways (laughs) yes now, this is going to sound a bit stereotypical, mm. but do you have a favorite author? I do. I've had several different favorite authors over the years. Um, lately, I can't get enough of Greg Isles. I love, 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 love the Greg Isles. The Greg Isles, oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> um, he wrote this this series of books or I guess is writing these series of books with this character, Pen Cage, and uh, it takes place in Mississippi, and they deal with a lot of um, race and politics and things like that that have been happening in the Deep South for generations. And it's it's pretty heavy stuff. Like, it's, it's crime thrillers, but it's very intense as one can imagine if you're dealing with race relations in the Deep South. Um, so Greg Isles is my go-to right now. I'm reading Cemetery Road, absolutely loving it. Um, before Greg Isles, I was reading uh, James Patterson, who I absolutely adore. His catalog is expansive, and he writes all manner of things, from like children's books to romance novels to crime thrillers and I am very very drawn to his crime thrillers and honestly I needed a break from the intensity of 
Greg Isles's books, they're, as I mentioned, very intense. Like their their themes are very very uh, intense. So I picked up Woman of God from <laughs> James Patterson, and it's it's um, marketed as this book where a woman is potentially going to be the Pope and it's it takes you on this journey and it is so incredibly emotional so I kind of felt that I was a little bit um, led astray and that's fine because the book I really really enjoyed that book but it was not light so it was the kind of kind of uh, the same intensity that I had been experiencing with Greg Isles, the, the trilogy that he wrote before Cemetery Road came out was Natchez Burning, The Bone Tree, and Mississippi Blood. And those books are so incredibly heavy. Going to Woman of God was ill-advised, I would say. <laughs> but... <laughs> um, I read The Murder House by James Patterson, and that was the way that that book just kind of picked up and it rocketed you off in this thriller and all these twists and turns, and it was so quick. And when you talk about like a, a page turner thriller, like you are guaranteed entertainment when you pick up a James Patterson novel, which is why I have a lot of his books, and I've been reading his stuff since Season of the Machete. and really really enjoy his stuff i know that a lot of people do not like him and i think that that's i mean take from it what you will the man writes uh, an engaging tale however you feel about him as um a person in the industry that's how you feel i guess but i think that uh the man can write a thrilling book so before that um when I was growing up, I was reading a lot of Tom Clancy. So Tom Clancy wrote um, Patriot Games and The Sum of All Fears and all of those like Jack Ryan kind of books. And um, it's those like technological espionage thrillers that he would write. And I was reading this stuff when I was in like middle school and high school and it's so incredibly technical so incredibly like politically um, informed at the time of what kind of was going on with the Cold War and, and all of this stuff going on behind the scenes all of these political um, moves that are going on that you know nowadays you see Jack Ryan is a is on Amazon Prime or whatever um, streaming service it's on now these things are so engaging like these stories are so engaging that they're making tv shows and movies of them since the 80s and that's kind of really exciting robert ludlum is the writer of the born identity and he wrote umpteen espionage right those kind of like thrillers, thrillers. yeah and um it was really interesting because I was sitting on the train, this was many years ago, I was sitting on the train reading The Born Supremacy with my, my brother was sitting across from me and it was at that time that the movie came out. So The Born Supremacy was actually written in the 80s, but I never got around to reading it until whenever that movie the came movie, out, yeah. 2000 and something. Um, so I'm sitting there, you know, flipping the pages and I'm like immersed and horrified because some of the stuff in this book is just so incredibly violent. And I'm looking at my brother, because I know that he just saw this movie, and I keep, I'm looking at the page, and I'm looking at my brother, and I'm looking at the page, and he finally asked me, he's like, what is wrong with you? And I said, okay, you got to tell me if this scene is in the movie, because I, I don't understand how they would be able to put this on the screen. And so I described the scene, and it's incredibly violent, and I'm not going to describe it for you now. But, um, yeah. Uh, and he he's looking at me like, Good God, no! What the hell? And I was saying, you know, I'm one. I'm I'm glad because it still meant that we had some level of decency at that point. Right. Um. 
but two, holy crap, <laughs> Robert Ludlum, you are an incredibly violent man. In your imagination, she says, knowing full well that she writes things that are incredibly violent herself. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things about books I like. Like, I'll admit that I've not kept up, like, as a youth, used to read a lot of books. I think as technology found its way in my life, maybe that's where it is, or just growing up and doing things. Mm. I was a little different, but, like, when you can, you probably had this, you're reading a book. And you can actually see what's happening. Like, they don't give you pictures. Yeah. You've developed what these characters look like. Yeah. And it's like there's a movie in your head. That kind of experience is hard to beat. Because I've heard, like, with Game of Thrones and stuff like that, which I'm not going to cry about the ending, although <laughs> I'm still not over it. Um, but, you know, I talk to people who read the book and then they watch it and it's different yeah. right so because like you already have the cinematic masterpiece in your brain and then someone goes and makes it and you're like well no that is not you. what Jon Snow would ever do yeah you missed the mark there buddy right yeah. so that's what I think I like about books very much just how it takes your like how your imagination can just take flight yeah well I, I, I posted this there's a, um, a cartoonist online, I think his name is Nathan Pyle. He draws these, the Strange Planet comics. And uh, one of the comics that he drew, it's not a Strange Planet one, is this person, and it looks like they're sitting on a, a boat, like the the helm of a boat. Is that a thing? Anyway. Jack and Rose were? Is that where they had the helm? <laughs> yes, I think so. Okay. So there's, you know, these waves, and they're sitting there. And so it's four um, shots. Okay. Panels. Yeah. And so it's the person sitting on the boat. And then, you know, you, you see this kind of like a commotion is happening. And then the third panel is the person has dropped their book. And they're actually sitting on the subway. And that's what's actually happening oh, in real life. Okay. I and like then that. in the next panel, they have the book in their hand again. And then they're back on, on the helm of the back boat. And and that, to me, that's the ultimate reading experience. That's what I'm going for. If I, if I have at all ever written anything that has led anybody to be transported like that, then, I mean, that's the ultimate honor. Like, that's, that's amazing to me. This might seem a little unfair, especially writing, reading a lot over the years. Mm -hmm. But could you pinpoint what would be the most influential piece of literature you've ever come across okay. to you anyways maybe not mankind but you can say that also if you want <laughs> i wouldn't dare <laughs> um the most influential piece of literature to me i really really liked Macbeth. Like, I really, really liked Macbeth. I studied I, Macbeth. I tend to remember that. <laughs> I studied Macbeth a number of times. Uh, anytime there's somebody's, you know, doing a cinematic performance of Macbeth, or there's a play of Macbeth, or somebody's done a parody of Macbeth, I am there to watch this thing. And that was a, a really... It was a fantastic play about greed and human, you know how how we can become so corrupted by ambition and how we can be swayed by others and uh, Shakespeare did a really good job of that like showing that fallacy in the human condition over and over and over again so that to me that that play in particular was meaningful to me in that regard like I, I would just the other day, I was quoting it for some reason. Like, I just find myself quoting it just for having some a reason. reason. For absolutely no, no reason. What. Oh, what'd you like to dinner? Well, <laughs> out damn spot is all <laughs> I have exactly to say. Right. That's exactly right. <laughs> they did a that a, a thing about the coronavirus with regard to that scene with Lady Macbeth trying to get the spot out. It was absolutely hilarious. Oh, I absolutely that... loved it. And the other, you know, I constantly say to my nephew, for whatever reason, fly, flayons, fly. It's when, you know, Banquo, when Mac Macbeth is 
gonna attack Banquo and he's like telling his son yeah, to get, yeah, out, get of here. out of here. Yeah. Right. So whenever I'm telling my nephew to go, like fly, fly, Hans, fly, and he's always looking at me like, "What is your problem?" <laughs> but you know, you wouldn't think, but like Shakespeare really has like mostly in high school. Like I probably only read a little bit of Shakespeare since then personally mm. I've had a Shakespeare app on my phone for probably like over 10 years looked at it once but just the verbiage and how they put things um so like Romeo and Juliet gonna sound very cliche but like I've always liked that the story the star-crossed lovers mm-hmm. that they're just doomed yeah. like that was good but Othello really yes what I liked about Othello was how Speaking of corruption, I think Shakespeare in many different ways went into that. Yes. But how the idea, how an idea It's can so be insidious. Yes. Yeah. You just plant that little seed. Yes. And all of a sudden, I'll never forget, there's an old black ram tupping your white hue. And I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. And then from there, you know, this guy, this black moor is here doing this. We got to get rid of him. Yeah. Right? That's just, I, I gotta say that. Just really meant a lot to me. And just I just like the way he did things. Yeah. Just today I was reading something. I know I keep mentioning Corona. Sorry for anyone who's uh, fighting for toilet paper right now <laughs> listening to this. But someone said a comment of, like, so I guess Shakespeare was quarantined for the plague. And that's when he wrote King Lear. Oh, you saw that? Yes. Did you post it? If I you did posted not, it, I didn't I'm post sorry. that. No. I don't want to be that person who shows you the meme that you posted, but I didn't like. I'm not trying to be that person. But yeah, I just really liked that. I was like, take your opportunity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's the plague. You're not expecting to come back from the plague, but he still wrote like a literary masterpiece. Just yeah. really good. On the flip side of things, has there ever been a book that you've read that you wish, like, oh gosh, I've lot, like, I wish I never read that? Honestly, no. Um, and I've read some things that are just not that great, but I am perhaps naively of the mind that you can take something from anything, even if it's a piece of garbage. You say, okay, here's the lesson. Don't write like this. Or, you know, where was this person coming from to make them perceive the world in a way, in this particular way? Is that the point of what they're showing you? There have been things that I've read that have troubled me. Images, like we were talking before about how, you know, you have this masterpiece in your brain. And these these images that you've created that the that this writer this author has you know taken the time to implant in your brain and now you're stuck with it because it you've seared it to your to your noggin and whether you want to or not like i'm picturing something right now in my head like i want it to go away but it's in there it's in there there there's a scene in um memoir of a geisha where uh, the main character, she is a prostitute, and well, whatever, and uh, a working lady, shall we? Say. She she was a geisha, so she is at work, and the client is this powerful man, and he's on top of her, and his face is like in her face, and all she can think about is how his mouth is cupped that there's this this pool of drool of spittle just sitting there and she's like all she's thinking while he's doing all of this stuff to her is please don't let it come out <laughs> when i read that i was horrified because i i'm like picturing it in my head that's so disgusting just like wincing yeah like when is face. it when is it gonna spill over the edge like i don't need that in my face but the the writers who translated the book to the screenplay, when they made that into the movie, that scene was so impactful that it's in the movie. That's one of those things that that 
kind of stays with you. So whether, to get back to the answer to your question, whether or not you, or I in this particular case, like the book or not, and don't get me wrong, I really like Memoir of Acacia, um, there are things that are going to stick with you and you're going to carry them with you regardless. Yeah, yeah. I can see it was just um, like once it's there, it's just implanted, and regardless of if the rest of it is a, for lack of a better description, a hot steaming turd, <laughs> whatever line that was. Like I have lines where, like I've read a book, I maybe don't remember anything else in the book, but I remember the line. Like there's this one line in this book, some book of my dad's. And the guys there is just like, today is the tomorrow that you should have feared yesterday. Hmm. And that always stuck with me because, like, yeah, you can lament about it now, but it's already done. Yeah. So keep moving forward. And that just has always stuck with me. So I see what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Now, with your characters, would you say any of them are based on you? Um... Uh, I would say that most of my characters are based on some element of my personality. Uh. Yeah. And I mean, if you've read The Violence of Fire, and you... You should be equally disturbed and relieved. <laughs> I think... <laughs> um, but, but I think that y you can't, n you know, paint a person their character even even in saying persons of my personality are you know found in each of these each of these characters whether they be good guys or bad guys or otherwise um i am not my characters right, right. because that would be i mean from my perspective that would be terrifying i can't walk around in those skins that's that's pretty awful though you know, you have to base these things on something. Right, you gotta have, like, a starting point, per se. And then some of that may be, like, you know, that whole feeling that you just said of, man, I couldn't imagine that might give you the idea to write about that, because what would it be like if I was in that, what might I do? Right, exactly. Or, or something like that. One of the interesting things, because um, I... I, I made the mistake, loose quotation marks, of telling a couple people that characters were based on them and they liked it or didn't like it or whatever the situation was. But as I tried to explain to them, and, I, and I'll try to explain here, is that it's, you're taking a, an element of a person's personality and you are fusing it together with an element of this other person's personality and then my personality and whoever, and then you're putting that new composite person in this particular situation and given that this person would do this in this situation that person would do that in this situation how does this new amalgamated person react in this environment and then you let your pen fly and see what they do and why they would do the things that they do because you know everybody has their own motivations for doing whatever it is that they're doing which is important when you're you know building a a backstory to figure out where people are like what their motivations are um which is what leads them through whatever conflict that they come up against so when you when i say that i'm part of all of these characters yeah there's an element to me that would say okay if i was in mortal danger due to x problem fire let's say i don't like fire Yet part of me is fascinated by fire. Let's deal with the fascinated by fire element of my of my personality. Okay, if I was a person who was fascinated by fire and I was in this kind of situation, what would I do? Okay, now let's come back. As a person who does not like fire, like the, the consequences thereof, and there was a fire, what would I do? And those are two. Those can be two completely, completely different, different things, but still maybe taken from a single idea of a person or an aspect gives you multiple ways of 
how it could go. Right. Knowing and, those And you aspects. can make two completely different people out of that one element of your personality. Right. Right? So, I hope that kind of... It does. It does. Is there any of your characters that you've ever come up with over the years that you would like to be? Like, you write someone and you're like, that person's cool. Like, I wish I was them. Um, I wrote a character who was... She didn't have a name. By the end, she was just called Vengeance. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Because she uh, stripped her flesh... And she was just flames. Like, that's all she was. Goodness. If I could be anyone, on, you know, certain days, I would be her. Like, she's been through a lot. She lost everything. And she somehow still found a way to exist in the world. Granted, not in the form that she initially started, but now in this new skin so to speak um and that's how she moves forward that's how she she finds her i'm certainly not going to say peace because she does not find peace but her her purpose so yeah sometimes when I'm, I'm making some character it's more about you know what is it about them at the end of their trials that is admirable about them even my bad guys, like if they're if they have some redeemable moment where they're like, okay, you know what, I'm I've been terrible. Okay, they're bad, but how they get there? How how did they get there? But how are they now resolving within themselves what they've done? If they are irredeemable and just I'm bad to the bone and I'm just gonna take everyone else out with me and I'm not taking any responsibility for anything. Not necessarily admirable, <laughs> but, you know, if there's that moment of clarity and, I don't know, penance even, then yeah, that's not something that I might say, hmm, maybe I could use a dose of that in, <laughs> in my own life. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, did we, did we just have a moment? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> what was Oprah say? A aha moment? Was that yours? No. <laughs> I'll never admit it. Go on. As a single tear drips down her cheek. <laughs> There's no tear. Would you ever write nonfiction? I do write nonfiction. Oh. I wrote a story um, that I submitted to the CBC Nonfiction Literary Comp uh, Contest, competition, whatever it's called, um, a couple years ago. It was called what was it called impressions i think um and it was it was based on an idea that a friend of mine had mentioned many many years ago she her husband was uh, an apprentice electrician and she was a regular nine to fiver like me and so she rarely saw him while he was doing his apprenticeship and she was she would call herself a shift widow so she would only get these impressions of him with you know like a dirty dish left in the sink or you know something is awry just or askew in the bathroom or whatever like she would know that he had been there but she hadn't seen him for weeks right and when my husband got his new job which was years and years and years ago now I started to experience kind of that same thing because he's on this rotating shift schedule and there would be times when I don't see him for what feels like weeks, but I would know that he's, he had been around. So it's like there was a ghost living in my house. And so I wrote this story about that experience. Mm. And so long way around to answer your question. Yes, I would write nonfiction and I do write nonfiction. So, we know, unfortunately, what problems a woman can face in the world, mm -hmm. and we know what problems slash obstacles 
whatever that a black person can face in the world as a combined black woman Mm -hmm. to your knowledge in this literary world where you're trying to navigate and make your mark is there any obstacles that you can say that you faced that you would know for sure that I would know for sure um in that I have experienced it myself sure I would have to say no and I say that reservedly primarily because this industry aside from the fact that now everybody has Twitter and Facebook and and, um, Instagram and whatever and, and my profile pictures are up there unless you actually know who I am you don't know who I am so when you are getting my query letter across your desk assuming that you have more than the 13 seconds that they claim that they look at these things and you actually go to my profile you don't have the opportunity to judge me based on the fact that I'm black the fact that I'm a woman that's a completely different story obviously my name is Abigail my um, pseudonym's Casey they're um, feminine names so when you approach people and say oh I'm a writer you're a woman so obviously you write romance so when people read the stuff that that I write and they're like oh my god this is so violent to which I say it's in the title man like the story is called the violence of fire <laughs> like I laid it out for you <laughs> uh it's it's shocking I guess for people to accept the fact that women write things that are just as terrifying and unsettling as a man would and you know I'm certainly not going to put myself up there like Dean Koontz or or, um, Stephen King but like they're not the only ones who can write something that unsettles you and for those who know you you can go to those levels (laughs) personally and professionally (laughs) (laughs) thank you question mark Uh, I don't know no I'll take it as a compliment that's fine (laughs) well I mean like if you if you see me and you're like oh black I'm supposed to be able to like play basketball or some sort of sport and anybody who knows me knows I have zero hand-eye coordination. So uh. that's dangerous in and of itself. And, or, you know, I'm supposed to be able to sing. And, I mean, you heard me go la-la-la earlier, so you know I can't carry a tune. <laughs> so just let me write my crime thrillers and super erotic books and <laughs> leave me alone. I don't know. All that to say, the writing business I don't know I don't know honestly if I've ever encountered somebody who said no because she's black or a woman but I do know that I have been rejected but that's just kind of part and parcel of this business so anybody who who knows me knows that I get to a point when people say no to me where I will stop listening to you saying no to me and I will just do the thing that I want to do anyway. Right. So I only butt my head up against brick walls for so long and then I either find my way around the brick wall or I blow down the brick wall. And so that's one of the wonderful things about self-publishing. People said no, people said no, people said no. I said, well, that's nice. I'm going to do it myself. And so I did it myself. What's that aspect like? Because, you know... There's things that, from a kid, we've all wanted to do, but it's a very small amount of number of people who actually do it. What's it like to actually have your passion and go for it? Hmm. It's scary. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. Do not get me wrong. Um, but there is a real fear of both success and failure there. It's huge. I wanted this from when I was a little kid, right? Like my goal in life was to be the first, the youngest 
Canadian author. That was my goal. Ever. Ever. When I was in grade 10, sorry, grade 10, huh? When I was 10 years old, grade five, and I got my first rejection letter, I was devastated. And I didn't understand the industry. I didn't realize that you just keep, you know, hitting your head against this brick wall until somebody says yes, right? Right. It's very subjective. People are going to say no all the time. It's like asking your parents for anything. And they're like, no, no, no. And then finally it's we'll see. And then you're old enough now to just buy it yourself. Like that's, it's kind of like that. Um, So when I was 10 and I am dealing with this rejection, this new world of rejection, I then learned that there was this eight-year-old who got published. And that dream, because it was very, very specific, right? was snatched away because never again would I be eight years old. I was already 10. It didn't matter what I did after that point. And so I didn't know how to, and I mean, I was, I was 10, I was very young. I didn't know how to reconceptualize that, that goal. And then, yes, I wanted to be an author and then I wanted to be a ballistic scientist. I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a judge. I wanted to be this, that, the other thing because those are concrete things that people do with their lives. Right. They make sense. And it wasn't until, and I, I've got to give a lot of the credit to um, Anil Kamal, who is my colleague and, and a very dear friend, who, you know, we were having a conversation one day and I put the idea out to him that, yeah, you know, I, I want to write. And he was like, yeah, right as people do. <laughs> um, but, you know, when I, I was kind of insistent about it, because he is a writer, by the way, in case I didn't mention that, and I don't think I, that, I, that I did. Um, he... He earns his his name as the professor. I, I call him the professor, very honestly, because when I suggested to him that this is what I wanted to do, he made me do an assignment. <laughs> so... He gave me, he's like, okay, write this thing. And so I wrote the thing and I gave it to him and he was like, oh, okay. So you're not just talking out of your butt. Let's, you know, see where this goes. Okay. So it wasn't until that moment, and that was September of 2017, where, you know, we had that conversation and, and I started down this path and he said to me, Let's do NaNoWriMo. So what NaNoWriMo is, is National Novel Writing Month. And it's every November, all these folks from around the world engage in this challenge to write a novel in a month. So they have 30 days to write something that's 50,000 words or more. So 50,000 words is standard novel um, length. Like that's okay. That's the word count that you, it's now classified as a novel. And so he's like, let's do it. Let's write a novel in November. Let's do NaNoWriMo. And I was like, okay, because I have no idea what I'm getting myself (laughs) involved in at this point. And uh, so we do it. And you have to write 1,667 words per day, which doesn't necessarily sound like a lot, but trust me, it is. And, you know, throw in there your family life and your full-time job and whatever else it is. But, you know, you find the time, or you try to, and you do it. And I was able to do it. He finished his novel, and I was able to get well, the 50,000 words, certainly, but my novel wasn't done, so I didn't finish that novel until January of 2018. And uh, I was so, so proud of myself, because now I've, I've done the thing, right? Like, I can actually say, I wrote a book. That book is still sitting in my computer. <laughs> I would love it if somebody would like pick it up and, and go with it, because I think that people would enjoy it. But I am very aware that, again, it's it's a subjective thing, and it's getting it to the right editor and the right agent, publishing house, and you know, hoping that that machine will help you, because self-publishing while, you know, available to you 
is it's difficult so I can imagine like trying to get out to like a vast amount of people trying to just start there and be like hey read my book please yeah exactly. versus like someone like a established company saying okay you've now read all our books you know kind of like Troy McClure you may have recognized <laughs> yeah. that I brought you books such as from Dr. Seuss you know yes. um them saying hey this is Abigail Grimes or this is Casey Thompson right people read it based on the trust but for you to say hey I'm Abigail Grimes I'm an author this is my book read it it's got to be a lot more challenging I'm sure yeah I mean um trying to market that's something that I you know when when you're 10 and you're like I want to be an author you don't think about the machine that's behind that thing it's not until you decide to try to do it on your own that you realize oh right there are these things now called book trailers people love book trailers how do you make a book trailer i have no idea can you explain to me what a book like a book? i'm thinking of something in my head but i've seen trailers i've seen books what's a book trailer okay so a book trailer is like doing a cinematic trailer like you would see for a movie but for a book so somebody who is helping you with this would um, have read the book hopefully and they're able to translate to an audience or you know in in video form what this book is about in like 30 seconds or you certainly don't want to go too long especially nowadays people want their information really really quickly so it has to be engaging you have to have like you know this thematic music that just sweeps you in and you're just like oh my gosh like just completely blown away like you would be for for a movie trailer right. and that's a new thing that's that is a relatively new thing and that's part of you know this this marketing angle that you have to consider when you're when you're thinking about how to get the word out so you know i haven't gone that route yet because I'm trying to walk this fine line, it feels, between self-promotion and overdoing it. Like, you don't want to be in people's faces all the time. And I I think I'm just going to have to kind of sidle real close up to that line because I don't know where it is yet. Right. And, you know, they, they tell you, the, the machine tells you that you have six weeks really to um, promote your book you have two weeks before the book comes out sorry not six four you have two weeks before the book comes out the book comes out and then you have two weeks after the book comes out you have four weeks that's where your sales are most of your sales are supposed to be pre-sales so people have to be so excited about this thing that they're going to buy it before it even comes available and then you have two weeks to be like get my book get my book so it's Get it when it comes out. Get it when it comes out. And then it's buy now, buy now, here, buy now. Here, right. Here. And then after that, you're done. Go away. And we'll see you back again when you have something new. Well, you know, if it takes you five years to write a book, to get it through all of the um, motions that it has to go through, to have four weeks to get as many sales as you possibly can and you are your own machine that's a little bit daunting how do you do that i don't know is there a genre that you haven't written that you're looking to write that i'm looking to write uh no i don't think so i I was trying to write this, um, I'm trying to complete this um, short story collection under Casey. And one of the stories that was supposed to form part of this collection just won't like work. Like it's just, it's not. It's not coming together. It's not coming together. It's, it's, 
it's just languishing and I had to sit for a minute and try to figure out what was going on with this story why can't I move this this thing forward the heat was dying in the story which is a bad thing when you're writing erotica um I just I couldn't get it like I, I didn't understand what was going on turns out it's a romance and I don't write romance so I was like oh like I'm having a like a genre brain fart how do I move this thing forward and I'm trying to move it forward in a particular manner and it's not working it's not fitting because it's not that at all so I had to let it sit like oh okay let me kind of wrap my head around how to write romance and then I'll come back to it so not all women know how to write romance there's the lesson there um myth busted myth busted uh it's still not done because <laughs> i just i don't know i just i try to write something and then like flames come in my head i'm like oh let me just go write about destruction over here <laughs> so that's kind of what's going on there but i mean i don't i don't write westerns i i haven't written i don't think i'm smart enough to write like a spy thriller i would love to but i'm not well-traveled enough to be able to do that honestly that would just be just terrible and like i i I don't think i know much enough about political machinations to make it viable and i i'm having a really i find when i'm when i'm hung up on a story i'm i find that it's the viability that is my main concern so I'm, I'm working on something right now under abigail and i'm stuck a bit because i'm the concept i think is fantastic but i can't get past this one scene because i'm worried about the viability and, I, and i've been saying to myself just write it and get it over with and then work on that part later when you're doing the edits and stuff but I'm, I'm stuck like I'm stuck so that that's really frustrating well I think you're doing the right thing because sometimes you gotta just leave it alone mm-hmm. um, it's very difficult to push through with something when your guts like no this is not the way it should be and I apologize to everyone because I keep throwing myself in there but like fight there's been times like there's been a song I've wanted to do for years, mm-hmm. and I just, like, lyrically fine, but, like, the music, I just can't put it together, and as much as I just want to bang it out and just do it, I can't, because it's just not right. Yeah. It's just that purity of your creation. Exactly. So, I could understand. Now, speaking of that, since you're here, and for the millions and millions of people listening at home <laughs> wink wink i'm gonna read an expert uh excerpt sorry so you'll remember this back in grade eight miss <laughs> simpson's class miss simpson's class we had to write a story now i don't because i don't have anything for my childhood barely but i have what they call my favorite story the Saturday Night Special, <laughs> written by myself. The premise of this is basically it's my girlfriend's birthday. I need some money. For some reason, I feel like it's a logical reason to borrow some money off a shady crackhead in my neighborhood. <laughs> and payday comes for me to pay that money back. Fortunately, I don't have the money. A common problem. And here we are. (laughs) (coughs) Oh dear. Oh my. It's not Corona once again. It's okay. (laughs) Nothing's going to happen to you from listening to this if you're out there. The week passed. I hadn't heard from Richie at all. It was now Friday. It was the day I owed Richie the money, but only I didn't have it. I was so hungry, I went to McDonald's to buy myself a Big Mac. I came out of the store, and I turned the corner to get to my car. I put the key in the lock, then someone tapped me on the shoulder. 
I turned around quickly. There, staring right at me, was Richie. Yo, Richie, what's... Cut the crap, boy. Where's my money? Well, you see, it's a long story. I don't care about the story. Where's my money? I don't exactly have it all. What do you mean you don't have it? You promised me, man. You said you were a man of your word. I am. I just don't have it right now, that's all. I'll give it to you next week. He reached into his jacket pockets. I don't think you understand, he said. He pulled out a gun. Or at least it looked like one. Mm -mm. Yo, man, what's that? What do you mean, what is it? It's the Saturday Night Special. What are you doing with it? Trying to get my money, G. He aimed the gun at my head. I punched him in the stomach. Then I kicked the gun out of his hand. He ran for the gun, and I headed straight for the trunk of my car. I got out my bat and some rope. I knocked him out with the bat, and then I tied him up. I called the police. Then they came and took Richie away. I was so relieved. From now on, I always rely on myself. The end. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. For anyone who's weeping out there, I'm sorry. That was a very touching tale. But just the fun of writing, like when I came upon this, I was so happy. Now, I just want you, as we're coming to a close here, why don't you just brag? Name for us oh your books. What have you put out there, and where can people find it? Um, so under Casey Thompson, I have a workbook called "69 Prompts for Writers of Erotica." It's a workbook. It uh, leads you through different scenes where you can kind of write your own story. How nasty it is is up to you. Um, I am the first story in a erotic collection called Forbidden by Temptation Press. So Temptation Press uh, sells their own stuff, so you can go to their website, temptationpress.com. Uh, and Casey is writing the Jurist series right now, so they are, as well as the 69 Prompts, is available on Amazon com or CA or wherever it is that you want to go there. If you go to caseythompson.com, there are links for all of this stuff. Um, under Abigail Grimes, if you go to abigailgrimes.com, there's poetry and there's graffiti and there's just my general musings. If you liked what you heard today and you want to just read it, you can go to uh, abigailgrimes.com and, and check out under musings what is going on there. Um, the book that I have out currently on Amazon is called The Violence of Fire. Be warned, content warning, there is sexual violence. There is, um, it's, it's violent. It's just violent. Be warned. <laughs> People are hurt. Feelings are hurt. Privates are hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah. I really got to find a way to insert a drum roll in here, and I will. But now it's time for what everyone's been waiting for. And that's that Kevin Show question. Just a one-word answer, Abby. You don't have to elaborate on it unless you want to. Who is Abigail Grimes? <laughs> An author. And there you have it. Well, Abby, I got to thank you. Thank you. I hope to have you again. Feel free. You know where to find me. You heard where to find her books out there. I'll try to add some links to it, but I'm easy person to reach. Just for the fun of it, guys, I got an email address, thekevinshow97 at gmail.com. Just say it sucks or say you love it or say something. Just let me know that you're out there, that you hear me, and encourage me to do more. 
or try to tell me not to do more and be frustrated when I don't listen to you. <laughs> Just send a word. Let's talk. Something you want to see in the future. You want to be on the Kevin show? Whatever it is. Likes, dislikes, hit me up. But until next time, this is the Kevin show. And I am Kevin. I bid you adieu.